Welcome to episode 30 of the What's Up podcast presented by Oldricky Astro. It's the 22nd of October 2018. Today we're going to talk about a few news stories that have caught our eye in the last few weeks. We're going to talk about some Hubble trouble, some Soyuz snafus, and since it's coming out for Halloween, a little bit about a goblin dwarf. Today's panel is myself, Martin. I'm Ali. I'm William. And we're also have the pleasure today of being joined by our guest star, Dr. Libby Jones. Hi, thank you for letting me be on the podcast. It's quite all right. Libby, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, hi everyone, I'm an astronomer here at the UK Astronomy Technology Centre and normally I work on space missions, so telescopes in the infrared, particularly like the James Webb Space Telescope, Spitzer Space Telescope, and some ground-based infrarometers like ALMA. Thank you very much. So uh, we're not talking about any of those stuff today, of course that's, <laughs> that's about to happen. Uh, but we are going to start talking about uh, one of the things that JWST is something related to, the predecessor in many ways to JWST, and that is the currently ongoing Hubble mission. So Libby, do you want to tell us what happened to Hubble recently? Do you consider yourself a, a Hubble expert? Um, I do also use Hubble a little bit as well. I'm jealous. <laughs> and um, I was used to work at the institute that runs the Hubble Space Telescope before cool. working here. Is that so, the Space Telescope Science Institute? Is that the... Yeah. That is correct. <laughs> okay, just joking. Big tick mark. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, so they, they, they run the Hubble Space Telescope, and so they keep it all operational, and you always used to know what was going on with Hubble. And so, as I know from my Facebook feed this week, they've been a bit frantic um, because there has been a gyroscope failure on the telescope. And so... That's not great. Um, when the gyroscope scope fails, the Hubble stops taking science operations. And so I think since the 9th of October, it's been in safe mode and not been doing any science. So what does a gyroscope failure actually mean in terms of the spacecraft? So on Hubble, there was six gyroscopes that keeps it pointing stably. So that's really good because Hubble has very, very precise, very, very pretty pictures pointing at one patch of sky for a a long point of time and you want to keep it nice and stable on doing that but with a gyroscope failure so gyroscopes measure any small changes in the velocity of the telescope um and it's pointing it's like very very minute uh changes it can track it all mm-hmm. and keep it all nice and stable and correct for all that um and so having three gyroscopes it's working nice and smooth everything is going well and suddenly one breaks and so it goes, it goes a mission. Normally an email goes down to everyone at, at Space Telescope going, oh, something's gone wrong with Hubble. It goes into safe mode. They try and diagnose the problem and then get it fixed. Uh, they realize in this case that uh, the gyroscope was not going to be fixed. And so they're like, oh, we'll just get the backup one to be up and running. Fantastic. That was switched off a few years ago um, just for safekeeping. Hmm. Um, but when they switched back on, this backup gyroscope didn't work. And so they're now trying to fix whatever's going on, find out what is happening and how to make Hubble run and very stable. So did, did you say it started with six or has six at one point and then a whole bunch have failed over time? Is that just... Um, yeah, it had six. Um, they were replaced in 2009. I don't know, 2009. Was, was, um, that, was the last, that the last one? Yeah, last yeah, servicing yeah, mission yeah, was 2009 and that's when they were all replaced. Um, so prior to that, they were running on Hubble on two and one gyroscope modes anyway, but it wasn't very efficient. Okay. Um, so they replaced them and then a couple failed. Uh, so they were operating on three good gyroscopes and this one, backup one. Um, there's two that are now 
absolutely fantastic and working perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. But that's four. And there's other ones about gammy. Is it? Is that yeah. why you turned it off? Because like a dodgy leg or something. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't kind of being as stable as it could be. I think it may have even possibly running backwards. I think. Well, happens to, <laughs> happens to the best. That sounds really bad. Um, so it was, they thought, oh, well, we'll get rid of that one for now. We'll keep it there. Use it later if, if need be. Um, and then switch it on if any of the ones fail. So the one that failed was due to fail some point this year. It was kind of big, thinking kind of track. Oh, so it was not unexpected then? No, a no. failure was, un- was on the cards. Right. Okay. But what wasn't expected was the back at one not being optimal. And right. so. And that's a bit of a. This kind of feels yeah, like kind of from got a flat tire, gone to get the spear, and the spear's also got a flat. And it's like, oh, okay, well, we're going to have to fix one of these now. Well, it's kind of like the spare. You don't really know if it's got a flat or not. It's got something that's not quite right with right. it. Right. But, uh, can't tell okay that sounds worse actually <laughs> yeah <laughs> at least if they knew it had a flat they could, you could go and fix it and do exactly what needs to be done but this yeah. is like oh dear how when was hubble launched does anyone remember it launch? is 28 years old i think that is not sprightly for a spacey thing and it's right <laughs> not sprightly for anything to be honest <laughs> <laughs> um but i'm trying to imagine if, if you're a pi because the only time i've ever used hubble was for like a, a snapshot thing where you get they said yes, so woohoo. Um, but we, we got quite noisy data, but it was really fun seeing the emails and you were kind of like, oh my God, oh my God. And then you log in and then there's like a zip file and you download everything. Um, but I'm imagining everyone who's expecting those emails is getting the automated Hubble is in safe mode. Stay tuned, kind of like a little test card, you know, like channel four. <laughs> is that kind of so? I, w- I wonder how many people are currently sitting there going, Are we ever going to finish getting the data we were getting or something? Must be kind of horrible. I mean, presumably, the, let's say this thing doesn't work, you can it will then go back to the two gyro mode as they worked before, which is, I mean, you can still take data. Hubble's not, Hubble's not gone, it's just going to be less efficient or less precise. What, what sort of it's going to be both less precise and less efficient. Okay. I think the plan will be if they if they can't get it to run two gyroscope mode, I think they'll go straight to a one gyroscope mode to extend the life of bubble. Ah, uh, okay. That's, that's, so I yeah. think they may take a safety first approach. Yeah, it may change, but I think that may be um, the case of like running one gyroscope, but that will mean that it can't do as great astrometry. If we need to know what astrometry is, that's how precise your pointings are on stars. Just in case. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so. That that's that's very key in the centers of very crowded environments like clusters or centers of galaxies. And so, also for like the really deep, long exposures where you are, you know, deep field type images, and you are exposing for a long time in the same patch of sky, is that out of the window as well? Because you you, you can't be confident you are pointing at the same patch for a long time, or is it? I think that may be a lot more challenging. I'm very confident people there will be able to figure out how to try and correct for that. Yeah. But I imagine straight off, it's going to be a lot more of a pain. Yeah. Um, but still, as you say, it's, what, it's 10 years? No, eight, nine years since the last service, servicing. Well, it's it's not, kind of it's sad, not, though, because well, there it? isn't an immediate successor to Hubble that's going to be on orbit anytime soon. You've got Webb, which is kind of like a spiritual successor, but wasn't really designed to replace Hubble. Spiritual successor. Well, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's more of a success. Well, it's more of a successor to Spitzer. I don't know if you'd agree, Louis, because it was more like, it's a more of an infrared specialist than Hubble is. Hubble's a UV kind of thing. Right? Yeah, I would say it's more of a successor to Spitzer, but 
it was it would still be nice to have it <laughs> yeah and it's not gonna it's gonna get the same quality images as what hubble will be so when hubble runs out the only thing that will take comparable hubble quality calendar images or or clothing or whatever other cool shiny <laughs> picture you want will be james webb and that's going to be awfully nice as well and then the other problem with hubble is that you can't even fix it now because we don't have the space shuttle which is yeah, currently was currently the only thing that could get up high enough to to fix it but. is there a plan i mean like could spacex do it uh, i mean like realistically <laughs> i mean uh, okay i mean i know they haven't launched people i mean the Soyuz presumably could get somebody to that orbit, but they haven't got anywhere to stay whilst they're doing the mission. We don't, I don't think Soyuz has got the payload. I think because if you're sending a bunch of astronauts, it's higher than the ISS. Yeah, and if you wanted to bring equipment with you for to do the replacement, then you can only get you, you can probably have to throw away two astronauts to get yeah, a one person job. That's <laughs> fine. Know, I'm not sure how massive. <laughs> but so I, one way trip. Don't go mad. <laughs> I think they must have considered this, or it would be on the table. Yeah, I suppose and, so. And then NASA have new rules now where they're like, we wouldn't have even sent the shuttle unless it had a backup oh, it did. and the, could, could get to the ISS or something. No, the, la- meant to the, be... the last shuttle, they had two shuttles on the launch pad. There's an awesome picture, not on the same launch pad. Um, both shuttles were ready to go for the, because cause it came after the um, Columbia disaster. That's correct, isn't it? Yeah, um, so they're less willing so to take like, risks. So so for the last, last uh, servicing mission, they had, the shuttle which was launched, and there was another shuttle on an, an adjacent launch pad which was ready to go. If so, if 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 the imagery of the launch had shown that you know a chunk of heat shield had fallen off as it had the previous time, mm-hmm. there was a backup rescue mission all set, which is must have made it one of the most expensive missions. Ever. What a what a and story though! I'd like to see a movie made where they just sort of run that through. Clip bits out of Armageddon, you can get pretty much the same scene. <laughs> <laughs> shaky though, really yeah. shaky. Um, but so, so I mean, think how much he must have spent to do that mission because Hubble's frankly awesome and it's one of the, excuse me, <laughs> Hubble is frankly awesome and is is the kind of NASA flagship mission in some ways at the moment that they will want to maintain it. You'd have thought if it was even vaguely possible to do it, they would be putting a huge amount of resources into trying to extend its life. But mm. presumably, that means it's. I mean, I have a feeling it, tricky. it's still incredibly oversubscribed because so, the instrument is very capable and that high resolution thing, you can't really beat it. I mean, you've got something like Gaia, which has got really good resolution, but Gaia, kind of, yeah. Gaia can only do kind of local, really, in yeah, terms of this high different kind of resolution, isn't it? It's yeah. the um, only one that could do UV as well. Exactly. Yeah. So, which is a big issue. For, um, sorry, I like massive stars. So there is hot things. Ain't nothing going to be nothing once Hubble goes to to let us get the kind of uh, you know look at the wind structure of massive stars, which you want to look at in the UV. Just can't do it. It'd be interesting to see what happens when you say to the public, "Hubble's done," just to see if people care anymore, or if they're like, "Meh, that's fine," Uh, or if they actually get sad. I think it's a really dangerous thing to say, though, because you have to explain why it's done as well. Mm -hmm. But because just to say, "Oh, it's done," why don't you go fix it? Well. It might be even worse than that. They might be like, we're going to kill Hubble. We'll deorbit it sensibly. Because you don't want it to have yeah. an uncontrolled re-entry. So the, they, would, they would probably... I think, do they have a thruster on it for the deorbiting? Did the astronauts leave one behind? Okay. I thought they did on the last okay. servicing mission. So I they could was, potentially... Is that... I think there is a plan to yeah. uh, crash it into an ocean. I can't believe we're talking about this. Maybe, maybe we shouldn't you know, like, touch but wood that it's going to be fine. For I think it is will be fine. I, I've, yeah. I'm hearing rumours. Oh, good. That, um, <laughs> they're, they're finding a fix. Okay, cool. The, the third gyroscope. It should be also good news to all the people who put in large telescope proposals. 
because the, the time allocation committee for Hubble was meeting exactly the same day that the gyroscope failed. <laughs> so, so what did they do? Did, did they just carry on? They carried on as normal. Right. And this was a call for proposals that was just medium and large programs. So the ones that are staying on patches of sky or doing lots of mapping of complex galaxies. So the ones that you really, really need the gyroscopes for were the ones they were judging who was going to get time. Also the massive ones which people have spent ages preparing. Oh, yeah. fingers crossed. I like the idea that it's, it's Hubble now has like a walking stick, like a gammy leg or something. You just kind of, but it's <laughs> trucking along just fine. That's just fine. That's kind of cool. Okay, so sticking with the topic of um, snafus, let's put it that way. And what is a going, snafu? You keep saying snafu. A small, uh, a, a small ever. Yeah. yeah, snafu. Like, is that a Scottish thing? It would appear so. From our, from our straw poll, it would appear so, yeah. Wow. I think it's a Scottish thing. So it's just a word for a mistake that starts with an S. Yeah, no, I, 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 I'm completely with you on the, on the alliteration. Because I can't done, use the F one because I can't <laughs> <laughs> A snafu is a small fire. <laughs> so what happened to the Soyuz then that caused a snafu? Uh, well, it was, I guess you could call it a successful failure, I think, because... Um, Two astronauts were due to be arriving at the International Space Station this month, and um, I came into work, and on my Twitter feed, there was a, an official-looking thing that said, you know, launch anomaly from, I think, the NASA account, stay tuned, and then I was like, oh, and I'd forgotten there was a launch that day, but launch anomalies are not a joke when there's humans involved, so the... Um, that that sort of moment where you're waiting for about an hour to get an update on what happened to the astronauts. So essentially, the the, the launch failed, um, and it failed in a place where no launch has failed before. So it's kind of a record-breaking launch in that um, this is the first time we've seen an abort uh, at that particular stage of a rocket launch, and that's a scary thing. Um, so the the capsule is attached to essentially a giant explosive thing, uh, and if everything's working well, it's pushing you forward. Um, but sometimes <laughs> the rocket does not want to push you forward, and something and, goes wrong. And they say so, rocket science is hard. Well, <laughs> so the, the capsule's on top, right? So most, well, with the exception of the space shuttle, most things put your humans on top, and they have um, what's called a launch escape system, and that's designed to pull the human bit off the rocket if the rocket suddenly um, um, enters a failure mode. So it could be the obvious catastrophic explosion, or it could be the guidance going, or it could be something else. So there's, you know, there's dozens of conditions, and if some of them get met, uh, then this abort thing gets triggered, and you have a little like champagne cork and you pop the humans off and they come back <laughs> rapid quick that's the the bit that gets scary because it's um depending on exactly where and when this thing gets triggered it's gonna hurt uh, and you don't come back in a controlled fashion the, the, the nice phrase they use is the ballistic descent it basically means you've you've just fallen and there's not much control to your path or um uh to be able to lower the amount of g-forces you might experience so uh, the the booster had gone for about two minutes, I think. And this is the Soyuz booster, right? So this is still considered one of the most reliable rockets on the planet. I think they're they're claiming about seventeen hundred launches of a Soyuz type rocket. So this all the way back to an R seven, which is an ICBM. The ICBM <laughs> R seven design, the bottom half, the those sort of four strap on things that are tilted a little bit into the the central core, yeah. that's not changed since nineteen fifty seven. So that core design <laughs> is still the same. Ain't broke. Uh, Soyuz uh, is still kind of the the sort of most modern version of that, but essentially the the, the design hasn't changed since the sixties. Um, 
so it, it is reliable and there's a lot of launches and I think it outshines any other rocket by far. But they're technically cheating because they keep upgrading it and it's still the same, if you see what I mean. So new ones are slightly shinier. But the the abort worked and uh, they popped off the rocket around about two, um, two minutes and 40 seconds or something. So this was around about the time when the four strap-on bits around the side are supposed to finish because they're empty <laughs> and you want to jettison them. And they normally do this lovely, graceful thing with Soyuz launches, and it gets called a Korolev cross. And the way it's designed is the, the four boosters, they actually pull up and away a little bit from the side of the boosters while they're still firing. And uh, so the, um, it's kind of hard to explain because I'm doing things with my fingers, which nobody can see. Um, but I can then, see. But then <laughs> nice. the four tips of those boosters, they have a little pulse of air, and they sort of let go, and it flips them away from the rocket. So the key here is you want to lose the four things without the four things whacking the middle core, which is still firing. That's stage two, and that fires all the way from launch right up until the middle core is empty. Um, so you want to get those four things away cleanly, and that Korolev cross is what you see. So the four things tumble away, beautiful symmetrical pattern, and it looks kind of awesome in, in the videos. And in the video for this launch, uh, the Korolev cross was more of a Korolev something or other. It was, it was you know, like two of them came off, and then... Another two were off to the side, so you already knew What's they something wasn't right. at different points. Well, that's oh. the so the, the the best current theory. Um, I don't know. if I watch um, Scott Manley on YouTube. He's a really good YouTuber, and he's very nerdy, and he knows his rockets. So he's done a couple of nice videos that try and explain this a little bit better than I can do. Um, but the the current theory is that one of the at least one of the boosters didn't separate the top end properly. Um, so it ended up coming back and swinging into the firing core stage because the astronauts reported feeling weightless before they triggered the abort. And that if you're weightless on a rocket launch, that means your engine ain't firing. You're just falling. So um, to be weightless, that means there's nothing generating any thrust. So it looks like one of the things has taken out that central core. But so this, this could have been... Uh, Kind of catastrophic, but the abort yeah. mechanism worked. And what's interesting is there's a few different ways you can abort. The first is uh, you use the full launch escape system tower, which is the pointy bit that sticks up from the top of the rocket. It's got solid rocket motors in it. And when they get fired, it, it hurts because the acceleration is a lot. And the, the, there's a lot of power in that because you need to beat that main stage of the rocket. And those can accelerate pretty fast. So you have to accelerate faster. Otherwise, when you pop your cork, the rocket's going to fly into the back of you, so you have to be moving fast, and this is really uncomfortable. That got used once uh, in a Soyuz mission that went on fire on the launch pad and went, and they managed to land um, around the corner, kept everybody alive, so success there. Um, the second time there was a, an abort during a launch was during the second and third stage separation, so that's the core bit going to the smaller bit that actually gets you going fast enough to stay in orbit. Uh, that one they had already thrown away the rest of the launch escape system because you discard it to save mass on the way up. So they actually just used the Soyuz main engines to turn around and come back. That was hellish because they did something like 21G. Um, because when the abort triggered, they were pointing down already and the engine fired and they accelerated downwards. So uh, 21G is not nice. We, we can talk a bit more about Gs in a little bit. Is so, that even... I mean, um, they did. They survived. Oh, I, I Wikipedia a whole bunch of G-force nonsense. So I mean, talk about that. <laughs> and, and then, so this third boost it comes in the middle. So they'd thrown away the top pointy bit because the first core was kind of done. So in the current timeline of the mission, that sort of flies away on its own. Um, but there's still a payload shroud above the Soyuz, and that payload shroud also has solid rocket motors in it. 
to pull it away from the body if something goes wrong. So they're the things that save the astronauts' lives in this case. And that's why it's a, a first, because they've not been used um, in a live flight situation. Uh, and so they, they popped off and they were something like 400 kilometres downrange at this point, but luckily only within 20 kilometres of a, a town. Was this from... Um like no, where is uh, yes, I think so. The, what, um, so apparently, the town's the already used to going out and finding astronauts because it's it's near it's near where they've landed before. <laughs> so, <laughs> some towns have like a like local like you know be, like life saving like beach guards or whatever. So, so, so the locals were not surprised. They're just like, oh, another astronaut. Oh, Don't that's fine. here we go again. How much advance warning do they get before being like super G forced? I think some of I think a lot of this is automatic. So what I could tell the American astronauts, the like the right from the Mercury capsule, they already had that launch escape system and they knew it worked because it had to be used on an unmanned mission for Mercury three, I think. The rocket exploded and went off course and the range safety officer hit abort. And apparently the all of the American crews have the option of hitting the button themselves on the flight if they want to make that call. And like in Apollo thirteen you see them getting ready to flip the abort handle and that would have done that thing. Uh, and obviously, depending on where you are in the launch, there's different things would happen. Um, but apparently the Russians don't get that switch. So it's a ground control decision to make or an automatic decision where the rocket senses it's in big trouble and, and triggers it itself. So I thought that was interesting. But mean, isn't it? Well, like, so, but I think you're not allowed to the, run the, away. The, the, the video is fantastic. There's a video of the, you can see the cross going a bit wrong. And then it cuts to the in cockpit video. And it's great for two reasons. One is that weird stuff happens because normally in a rocket, they're just sort of jiggling a little bit in their seats and just lots of jiggling. And then you stage and then it's some more jiggling. Um, but this time they sort of hang there and there's a little uh, jiggly toy thing on a, on a string uh, and it disappears. It shoots up out of the thing. So you know something's gone wrong and it starts bouncing around like mad and they're shaking around and you're like, this is not looking healthy. So I think the minute that happened, they knew it wasn't right, and then it was probably just a matter of time before the abort thing kicked in, and then they had to pull something like seven Gs, and then you come back faster than you would like that whole ballistic thing. You get more Gs because of that as well. You can't, um, you're not really flying for aerodynamic lift, uh, so you get a much more entry now rather than entry uh, smooth and easy. And, and then this thing's got parachutes and malarkey uh, you need a drogue it. parachute to start slowing you down and then you've got mm. better parachutes that you you, okay. you launch but it's it's also got the rocket boosters when you come down is that is this work um, for the, yes for this as well? uses, there's lots of things that hurt you in the, like as, as you get really close to the ground they fire some rockets because the parachutes aren't big enough to actually stop yeah, you're doing about 10 metres a second, I think. So if you don't fire those rockets at the last second, you'll hurt yourself. When you oh, the yeah, you, sorry, you are sitting in the little Sawyer's landing capsule, the, the, the thing, the Tim Peaky mm -hmm. thing, which mm -hmm. was in well, the, the museum. The very first ones, yeah, you had to jump out with a parachute. What? <laughs> and anyone willing to take that ride? Uh, like Valentina yeah. Tereshkova, First Lady in Space, Yuri Gagarin, they would have done that. So they literally... <laughs> well, they open the door the and hatch. Yeah. And jump out because uh, they were on parachutes, I believe, the capsules, but they were going to land hard. Yeah. So they had to jump out to not hurt themselves. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, you know, easy peasy, right? Uh, so I'll just put out that the, the original question there that they asked was if they had like an early warning system before they got told to doing these Ds. From your description, it sounds like there's like a, a toy and a bungee cord. <laughs> 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 and the little giraffe like, goes crazy. Oh no, it's always coming. You, you know that? Um, there's a, a meme with a weather forecasting stone, which is like, stone is dry. <laughs> Clear day. Stone is wet. Rain. Stone is gone. Hurricane. <laughs> so yeah, I think, I think that's it.
Um, it's, but it, it sounds a little bit dramatic. But there's a few. Uh, there's like a lot of incidents with the Soyuz. Um, there's not 1,700 successful launches. Well, <laughs> but what's really nice is, is, is there's, there's very few fatalities. So the very first Soyuz, the first person to to go up in one. Uh, and frustratingly, the the Russians call the rocket family and the capsule Soyuz, even though they're two separate things. So the Soyuz capsule. Um, Soyuz 1 uh, killed their occupant um, because the parachutes didn't um, open properly and Soyuz 11 depressurized before it re-entered our atmosphere so there that's the I think officially the only in space fatality humanity's ever had didn't happen in space um, but it happened not be- before engine interface right so it was above the Carmen line so yeah. I think that's the distinction I've Wikipedia seen, I've seen different debates on this is that yeah. why they just redraw where space is Kind of, yeah. I think America <laughs> has got a different space definition to the rest of the world. Mm. It's a, things like this. Like, yeah. yeah. So I think Wiki was saying above 100 kilometers was when the they depressurized, um, but they were on a re-entry trajectory, so people found them um, in the capsule, so it made it back, but they they'd already perished, which is kind of nasty. Um, but every other fatality has either been pure launch or re-entry moments, because they are the risky bits, really, the riskiest. Um, there was a really scary one where they punched through an ice lake and sank <laughs> so they had to wait at the bottom of this lake for X amount of hours to have I had no what? idea about this yeah. until I read about it today and I went huh never even occurred to me that your capsule you know this is this is why an abort is always yeah. dangerous because you never know where you're going to come down and you can potentially fall off a cliff the Soyuz doesn't have anything to stop it rolling down a really steep slope so if you come down on a slope you're in big trouble. But, but, but they're waterproof. Like, yeah, but there's only so much. space proof. So, yeah, so but it's it? not like your rescue teams have submersibles ready well, to go. Yeah, well, that as well. So but that's, like, that's, I, I never even imagined so this, was a, this, this, this is covered in Futurama in like season two quite well. <laughs> <laughs> where they discuss the fact that they take one of the ships underwater and they go, well, obviously it's a spacecraft. It has to be waterproof. No, spacecrafts are designed to go between one pressure and zero, not one pressure and more. Yeah. yeah, so there's the different up. ends of the scale. Yeah, you don't want to explode out and you implode at the bottom of because the... Sandra Bullock gets pretty, pretty, pretty wet at the end of Gravity when she lands in that lake. I can't all remember. All the water's rushing in and then there's like some remember. swimming does, out. And does it's Soyuz all like... have a flotation? Sorry, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> anyone hasn't seen Gravity yet. <laughs> does the Soyuz have a flotation thingy? Because it maybe but failed in this case. Well, apparently it was the parachute that caught and the parachute like dragged them under. So... Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Well, I mean, the parachute also saved another mission, which rolled down a slope, and the parachute caught on some vegetation. So it's, you know, this. Uh, also read bad. at least two times, maybe three, because this was hard to find out. There's been a case where the the Soyuz is a little bit weird, and it's it's not as simple as the American designs because it's got three pieces, the capsule. So you have the, the round orbital bit. We talked about this last month, actually. That's the bit with the hole in it uh, that's going to get discarded when the current ISS occupants come back. You've got the, the middle bit is the descent module. So that's where people are and the heat shield is. And then the bottom bit is just kind of oxygen tanks and stuff you need to stay alive for however long. So you throw away the, the top and the bottom bit and then you come back in the descent bit. But at least twice that bottom bit hasn't come off right. So you, you press the button for, you know, service module jettison and it goes... Pfft, and you can tell it's still on. So you need that thing to not be there because when these things re-entered, they came in backwards and backwards is not the direction your heat shield is facing. So these re-entries were really bumpy, horrible, had a risk of actually burning through the hatch, which is on that end of the spacecraft. So they got lucky because the, the struts melted in the heat of re-entry that were holding it together. So even though the bolts didn't, um, the explosive bolts didn't work, the, it melted off basically. <laughs> 
But you know, it's this is fraught with danger. This this space travel shenanigans. Anyway, do you want, do you want to know some random G statistics before? Let's have some silly G's. I wanted to know what the record-breaking G's were because twenty-one G's sounded like a rock. Sounds horrific. But there's a rocket sled person. Uh, I wrote this down. John Stapp apparently hit forty-six point two G's, oh. and there's a video of it. <laughs> so uh, on a rocket sled. So the reason it doesn't kill you is if you can spread it out a little bit. So just a very small fraction of a second at very high G is not enough to kill a human being. So people in car accidents can do more than hundred G's. Um, but as long as it's very brief and you're not, um, it also depends on what direction you are relative to where mm-hmm. the G's come from. There's a, a nice phrase, which is eyeballs out or eyeballs in. Um, <laughs> eyeballs in is where you're facing, um, you have your back to where the force is being applied. So you're, you, this isn't a rocket. You're facing upwards, the force is coming in on your back. And when you re-enter, the force is on your back again. Eyeballs in. Eyeballs out, not so good. So... Uh, <laughs> so so apparently the eyeballs out was what this guy experienced, this 46.2 Gs. And he, he was fine, lived to the age of 89. Um, yeah, but think what you could have lived to. Maybe 120. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, pilots, if you do negative Gs, which is where you dive in the plane and all the blood rushes to your head, you can only handle a couple of Gs, um, two or three, um, before bad things start so to happen. You're rupturing. negative, but... Uh, and you can do something like nine going up the way through your spine is not good because it takes all the blood out your brain and then you pass out as well. So the the, the whole G force thing is is nasty. Um, but for this guy John Stapp, um, if he'd been on a set of scales, he would have weighed three and a half tons for that <laughs> fraction of a second, <laughs> which I thought was fantastic. So it was yeah, it was a bit of a minefield going down the chute. But luckily the astronauts are fine, and it was nice to see the abort system work but for that one half hour there was no confirmation they hadn't heard from them and then sort of the information filtered through and it was all fine in the end but i think i guess everyone's just relieved that the rocket did what it was supposed to i'm going to quickly stick with the uh, successful stories just to quickly mention this as well uh yesterday a couple of days ago epi colombo launched yeah which, which is the, the isa jaxa mission going to mercury that started this very long seven-year journey to get to Mercury. It's crazily long. <laughs> Which doesn't quite make sense, but no. we, we can cover why that is in another episode. But it's worth mentioning, it's gone up, um, it received like a, it sent a, a signal saying it was all happy and healthy, so that's good. Uh, and they've also started releasing the cartoons talking about the mission. Um, so some of them are sort of vain to the Rosetta ones, very similar art style. It's worth having a look for those and keeping up on track with those as well. Yeah, that's going to be fun. I have one other random thing that I was just going to ask a question of you guys and uh, to see if you know the answer. Um, I was saying Soyuz is really popular, so 1,700 launches of the rocket, but most of those were not with people on. So there was 139 Soyuz missions, which I thought was quite impressive. Do you want to take a guess at how many shuttle missions there have been? Because oh. I was genuinely surprised when I looked this up. 43. Oh, I thought it was 130 as well. Two different numbers for the... Because <laughs> you like mission asterisk. Well, I, I, William's yeah. closest, but I was I was with Libby to begin with. I looked up shuttles, expecting it to be dwarfed by how many Soyuzes there've been, and it's 135 shuttle wow. launches. It mm. was really close to to actually superseding how many Soyuz could do. So the shuttles were averaging about four a year um, for the whole time they were running, and the Soyuz are much less. It's like two a year or something on average. So I was just really kind of mind boggled because I don't remember there being that many. So there was a lot of the official like NASA civilian stuff launches they did an awful lot of u.s defense satellite launches as well oh so you're less likely to see that on the telly yeah i had the chance of seeing one when i was a kid 
I saw it got struck by lightning on the launch pad, which was kind of cool. So it was one of these comedy tour buses, and they were so scared of us getting struck by lightning that they wouldn't let us leave the bus. So we had to like all queue to stand at the foot pad outside the bus to sort of lean out and take a picture of the shuttle on the launch pad. And it turns out if we just waited, we had a chance to go and see that same shuttle take off. And what did I vote to do when the family had that question? I went to Disney World. <laughs> Shame on you. Shame. I, Abandon your PhD. I, I have regretted that decision ever since. And I think me and my dad were the same. It was just kind of, well, we could go, but it, it's 50 50 with the weather. And we didn't go and it left. And that was it. Chance over. Now the soil is not working. How do we get the people back from the yeah, International Space Station? That's a fine question. Uh, there's three people on, and they still have the Soyuz they arrived on. Uh, so they can come back in that one. Bear in mind, this one had a hole in it. So, uh, <laughs> it's the size of the hole. <laughs> the the size of the hole. So, luckily, the hole uh, is not on the bit that is the descent module. But when holes start appearing in your spacecraft, you start to lose confidence in old hole in other bits. It should be fine. But the real problem is, Soyuz has a shelf life of about two hundred days. It's something to do with the fuel actually decomposes slowly in the fuel tanks, so it has to come back, which might actually mean the space station might be empty for the first time in like 20 years, which would be interesting. NASA think they can keep it going uh, in an unmanned sort of way for a while, but not for too long because it needs regular maintenance. Um, So it could be a big issue. Uh, And Soyuz is still the only thing in the near future. But we've got, for at least until 2019, we've got the Dragon and the Boeing SpaceX and Boeing have two human-rated capsules, which should be launching in 2019, if we're lucky. But that's still quite speculative. So Soyuz is, for the immediate time being, Soyuz is all we've got. So they don't know what actually happened. They don't know why it went wrong. I mean, yeah, it's fine. Um, In the sense of they're grounded for a while. I've actually been surprised at how quickly they've been saying stuff about the incident with this one. So they think they know it was something to do with the release mechanism or it wasn't bolted on properly to begin with. So... Um, so it might not take them too long. I think they're kind of getting the investigation done as quickly as possible. You don't want to be the people they put on the next one, though, do you? Like, <laughs> well, there was, who wants like, to go for the next mission? Everyone steps back. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, obviously you want to do a thorough investigation because you want to remove remove the issues. But yeah, it's this kind of, um, uh, there's other launches scheduled. So we'll have to wait and see if they go ahead as planned or if they're going to decide to shelve the rockets for a little bit to fix them. Um, but yeah, it's going to be interesting time for, for humans in space, I think. Kind of fun times. Okay, so just one last story to try and squeeze in here. It is coming up for Halloween, so we have to put in some sort of spooky story. William tells about goblins. Goblins. <laughs> this is the goblin dwarf planet, which has been uh, found recently. Actually, that's why. It was found about three years ago, around this time of year. Oh. Which is <laughs> why it got the name Goblin. Um, because I thought that was appropriate. It, strictly speaking, its name is, I wrote this down, uh, 2015, which is when it was found, 2015 TG387, which is not quite so cool. And had, yeah. they, had they put that out as the, pr- the press release, I'm pretty sure we probably wouldn't be talking about this now. Um, but the fact they called it a goblin dwarf planet meant that it went to the top of quite a few of the uh, news, news stories, most read articles for a while. Um, I quite like it. Did they get in trouble? Because you know how you normally have to go through like naming... Well, I, I, actually I went to the paper to check and it doesn't mention the word goblin once in the paper. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't read all the words, but the word search was, didn't, didn't cover any goblins. I can see the IAU being a bit Exactly. Yes. So I think basically that was a sort of a colloquial name which they put in the press release and it had the desired effect, which we're now talking about it. Hey! Mm-hmm. Um, but to be fair, uh, it's quite a cool little story. I mean, it ties in with things we've discussed before. Um, 
of the the finding things within our own solar system and the fact that our solar system is a lot more complex and muddled and uh sort of uh messy than than we previously used to think it was um okay so we all had our, our nine planets became eight um and the reason it became eight was because they kept finding other dwarf-like planets or small planets um and in fact it's the same groups again it's the same people who've been looking for dwarf planets in our solar system who found this goblin um and it's quite a small planet um it's only sort of well actually they don't even know they're guessing how big it is um but they think it's a few hundred kilometers across so really quite tiny but just about counts as a dwarf um slash large asteroid Mm. Um, but it's all blurry. That's the thing. All these names. And you know, the reason we got rid of Pluto is because ultimately the naming system is pretty arbitrary. The, the chunks of rock which we're finding don't care whether they're a dwarf planet or not. Um, we, but, we've tried to set some rules which allow us to define things in nice, neat categories. But that's a bit pointless. I'm trying to remember my Lord of the Rings canon. You know, like if like, if you call it a goblin and you've got to go up to ogres and stuff. You know, you know, we got a whole family of weird stuff out there. Now it'd be fun. <laughs> I know. I think we need new names. Um, the, <laughs> I, I was also going to add to that, knowing about my Dungeons and Dragons knowledge. Um, dwarf, dwarf that are on the sort of bad side of things that have more association with goblins are Dundragadar. Um, can I stop I'm concerned you? Can I just, stop you? just okay. now? No, we could, we could no. call it that. I'm just saying we could have called it that. It sorry, doesn't have a real sorry, name. <laughs> <laughs> so, the reason they were looking for this thing was Planet X, um, which also almost fits in Halloween type things. Um, there is speculation that there is a ninth planet, large planet in our solar system, which would count as a planet, not, not a sort of Pluto thing, a big thing, maybe 10 times the size of the Earth, which is orbiting way, way out beyond Pluto. Um, hundreds of astronomical units, so astronomical unit being the distance from the Earth to the Sun. Um, so about five, 600 astronomical units out. Um, and there's, there's a group who are searching for this um, with, with great enthusiasm. Um, and amongst their searches, they came across this smaller body. Uh, and the reason they kind of been, they're speculating this thing exists is that there's only a handful of objects we know of, which are, I, I should say, actually, this small body is on an orbit around the sun where it is a long way away. Its closest approach to the sun is still further away than Pluto is. So it's about 65 astronomical units when it comes close in. And then it goes to, I'm checking this, 2,300 astronomical units away. So it's a massively elliptical orbit. It's like a little cigar shape. It comes in-ish and then goes way, way out. So actually the chances of finding it are pretty, you know, you only see it in a tiny part of its orbit. It takes 40,000 years to go around the sun. Um, and so there's a pretty narrow window in which it's close enough. So we're seeing it when it's at its close approach point um, or ish. Um, and so but the thing is we're finding lots of objects like that out there. I mean, I think something like seven or eight of them now. I know that doesn't sound lots, but it's 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 quite you know it's a growing number, um, and because you have this, you only see them for a fraction of their orbit. Chances are there are actually loads of them, and we're just not yet seeing them mm. because you'd have to wait around to, to see all these different objects. But the the reason they're getting excited is there seems to be a sort of grouping in their orbits. Uh, the the kind of if you imagine it's a cigar shape, or it's a high elliptical orbit, so it's kind of not a nice circle. Um, of the objects they found, they the sort of the cigar shapeness all seems to point in the same direction. Ish. Does that sort of make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, they're also quite inclined to the plane. So all the planets, um, kind of the main real planets, go around in a big flat disk. Um, if you think of a dinner plate, they're all going around on, on the surface. Pluto is kind of quite inclined. It kind of crosses the disk. These things also do the same. They're quite inclined and they cross the disk of the person, but kind of at the same angle, roughly speaking, um, which seems to suggest there's something having some kind of gravitational pull on them to make them be aligned. Um, and that 
could be a planet X, a planet nine. So if you were going to just randomly scatter these things, they shouldn't all be lined up like this. So that Absolutely. means something else is might be there. being weird. Okay. I should say that there are other groups who say that this this particular set of uh, astronomers are looking at the same patch of sky to try and find things and keep finding things in it. And they're saying that's kind of quite a serious observational bias. So maybe, maybe this isn't a true uh, result. It's just that that's where they're focusing their efforts in the moment. That keeps so we're finding those ones first. Exactly. Uh, okay. But it's an interesting debate, and that, I mean, it's just the idea that there could be another really quite. You know, this is like a Neptune-sized planet in our solar system, which we just don't know about. I mean, we've got Hubble, which we're using to view galaxies, which are billions of light years away, and 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 yet there might be a planet in our backyard, and it just kind of shows the the relative brightness of different objects. The, the, it's actually it's totally it makes complete sense that this sort of object could be there and we would have failed to see it because unless you happen to point pointed a you know a large enough telescope at the same patch of sky for long enough you will not have seen an object as faint as a neptune 600 astronomical units away would be which is it feels a little bit counterintuitive but mm. it's i think it's really cool right? it's great it's like the solar system's got so much stuff and I we th- just I feel like webb would like this kind of thing and webb's only on the sky for about 10 years and i can't see many people giving it loads of time to <laughs> just, just look around for this this planet it better but, not <laughs> but, um, well and that's the trouble you need a long time as well so, so not only do you need to find it but you need to see that it's moved so so i say this goblin thing was found in 2015 hence its real name um but they've been trying to track it for the last three years to to see enough of a motion to be able to say yes, this thing is actually in. A, you can fit an orbit from the mm. from the measurements, um, and because of their um, their distance, they're actually moving really slowly. You think a little Mercury is whizzing around the sun at very high speeds. If you look at a more distant planet, it's not going that quickly, um, and that means that actually, in order to see a, 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 a appreciable shift in the position of the object, you've got to not only you've got to get one observation, you've got to get another observation long enough ago. So the chances of having you know, randomly finding the planet X are slim. But what they're hoping, what the dream of this group is that they will keep finding these dwarfs. And from the dwarfs, they can try and say, oh, we think there should be something here. Can we go and point a big telescope? Um, at that <laughs> patch of sky well, for long enough. That is how uh, Neptune got found. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, no, you know, no, Uranus we, was wobbling. So and we went, oh, there should be something and... over there. And, it worked. So, so I suppose that's the theory. And, and this group's got pedigree. They, they found, I think it's Sedna and Eris. It's the same people who had predicted it based on um, the impact of those objects on other systems. Um, Plus and, and they found stuff. You'd want to be in a rush too, because if you knew it was there, then you would get time on Webb. Uh, and I guess, um, let me correct me if I'm wrong, but Webb's um, wavelength range is much better for these cold objects anyway, right? They're it's perfect for... Uh, dwarf planets. Don't tell them that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you, you get your sort of peak and your sort of brightest in the mid infrared yeah. if you're cold, um, sort of coldish. Yeah, so I suppose I mean it's a race. I didn't say because I'm mean, finding a planet and it puts you. You say it goes right back to well Herschel finding Uranus. It's like it's a it's okay. I know we found lots of other things in the sky and you know it, yeah. in some ways things are diminished. But I think finding the the ninth planet would be pretty cool. I mean, I'm, I'm personally, I'd say I'm still quite skeptical that it's there. Um, I should clarify that, but it, but it's an interesting study. If you find another planet, you're not just rewriting astronomy textbooks; you're rewriting children's books. Yeah, and things yeah, to say. Well, go, well, there's actually nine planets again. It, that's that's a much bigger shift for the general public, I think, than it is yes. for astronomers finding here's a galaxy that's 
a little bit weird. Maybe. Yeah, no, people care about planets. Yeah. Don't they? I mean, you should. I mean, in some ways, it's like, well, not should, but it's, it's our backyard. I mean, that's... I'm kind of looking cool. forward to when they decide they have to name this thing. <laughs> Planet X. Goblin. Planet- <laughs> well, because, like, a goblin's fine, I guess. Um, but then, like, if it was actually Planet X and it's significantly chunky, then, um, you know, do we think this is where we adv- advocate for a people's vote? <laughs> <laughs> no. Planet but planet face. No. Oh, yeah, that would, that would be fine. Um, uh, just to stress, the goblin is a different... Goblin is a real thing which they have found. It's not really called the goblin, but they genuinely have found a chunk of rock which is going around, and the, that chunk of rock hints. I the hope there's like some hints. Greek equivalent of the word goblin, and then they can call it that, and everybody's happy. That would be nice. I'll, I'll, I'll write to them. <laughs> well, we'll let you go into that, Ali, and we'll finish off the podcast there. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks, all. Hi. Bye. Bye.